we sang about the birth of our Lord, because we had read to us 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Psalm 110 about the son of David that was coming. Those songs are good songs. The words they have about the Lord Jesus Christ are worth singing. It's a shame that they're only sung at one season of the year, but the Lord never asked them to be sung at that time. And of all the seasons of the year, we know that season wasn't His birth. Then we sang a song about His resurrection, which we should be remembering every Lord's Day, because Sunday is called the Lord's Day, because it was on that day, the first day of the week, when He first showed Himself alive after His resurrection. And to whom did He show Himself first? Was it Peter the first pope? Or was it Mary Magdalene the greatest sinner? What a wonderful story in the Bible. That the Lord Jesus Christ on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, showed Himself alive to Mary Magdalene. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. We are dealing with the kingdom of God. And we shall continue dealing with it this morning. I've entitled this series of messages, The Gospel Millennium. There are those that are looking for an earthly millennium on a little strip of sand in the Middle East with an earthly capital and an earthly throne and an earthly king. But the Bible doesn't teach such a kingdom. And until 1830, no one had really believed it. Prior to 1830, and John Darby of the Plymouth Brethren in England and C.I. Schofield, who was taught by him, who wrote a Bible in his own name, and fundamentalists in this nation in the 20th century, no one had ever heard about a pre-tribulationary, pre-millennial, coming of Jesus Christ with all of the features that Tim LaHaye and Jack Van Empe and let's get Rexella in there and Salem Kurban and Tim LaHaye, Hal Lindsey and the rest have added unknown to the church of Jesus Christ to the last 150 years. We're old-fashioned. We hold to the doctrines taught, held, and defended by men since the days the Bible was written. It's called the faith once delivered to the saints. I want us to look in Revelation chapter 12, and I want to take a verse from it. I had it on my preparatory reading for last night, and so I hope that many of you read this chapter already. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, this is the word of the Lord. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Amen. Amen. And amen. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy precious word. Help us to rightly divide it, to teach it plainly, 
to hear it willingly, to obey it cheerfully. Have mercy upon us in Jesus' name and for His honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The issue of our text is a three-letter word. Now. Now. So we need to ask, when was now? John heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. The religious world that we would call the most conservative denominationalism of our nation, the evangelicals and the fundamentalists and so forth, and what's popularly taught in this city, would say that now is still in the future. That now is a long way away for John, at least 2,000 years. Because the kingdom of God hasn't come yet. They're still looking for the kingdom of God. They don't believe that it came. They believe that Jesus and John tried to offer it to the Jews, but they rejected it. So he withdrew his offer, decided then he would go to the cross to die. And the church age is a parenthesis unknown to any prophet of the Old Testament. That is terrible heresy. Our God did not offer anything that He did not perform. And He promised to perform it. He said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And throughout the New Testament, we read about men pressing into that kingdom. They say the power of our Christ has not been given to Him yet. I say, our Jesus Christ is the blessed and only potentate at this very moment. And He has been for 1,976 years. And He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And all that He has left to do is to show the universe in a visible display at His second coming when He will burn up this earth and the wicked in it. And there will be a final judgment. And then we'll have our new heavens and our new earth. We don't have any seven-year tribulation yet to come. That's not taught in the Bible. There's no seven-year tribulation in the Bible. That's from people who lost the last week of Daniel's 70 years in Daniel chapter 9. There's no earthly millennium coming of Jesus wasting His time sitting on some carnal earthly throne in some little capital called Jerusalem on a strip of sand at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea with animals being offered on an altar before Him. That is blasphemy. Jesus Christ is never going to approve of one drop of animal blood ever being shed again because He shed His blood once for all. And He sits on His throne at this time. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Nathan the prophet speaking to David saying, You will have a son out of your own bowels, but he will be my son, and I will establish his throne forever. Then David by prophecy wrote that again in Psalm 110, that the Lord, God Almighty said to my Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, David writing, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And then Peter on the day of Pentecost, full of the Holy Ghost, 
for the first time in his life, understood Psalm 110 and said, Therefore, brethren, therefore, David was a prophet. He's dead. We have his tombstone. We know it wasn't fulfilled in him, but he was a prophet. And he spake of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the great turning point in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus, when he rose from the dead showed himself alive by many infallible proofs for 40 days and 40 nights. Then he ascended into heaven. And when he arrived in heaven, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, on the throne of David, on his throne, on on God's throne, that shall endure forever. And the kingdom had come in power. Now is come salvation. Do you have any questions? See, all of this is future. To the Tim LaHaye crowd, the Left Behind crowd, the C.I. Schofield crowd, all this chapter is all future. Now has come salvation. Do you have any problems with when your salvation came? It came with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, none of this, if you read the chapter last night, you know what the chapter tells you this chapter is about. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because when we go back to verse 5, we find, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to His throne. There's the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrected, ascended, and seated on His throne. Now is come salvation. The New Testament tells us plainly enough that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again for our justification. And when He appeared in heaven... Revelation chapter 5 describes it well enough that we enjoy every word of Revelation 5. God is sitting on a throne and He has a scroll in His hand, a book in His hand that's sealed with seven seals. It's the book of the everlasting covenant. It's all about our salvation. It includes the book of life. It has our names in it. And John wept because there was no man found worthy to open that book. All the blessings of eternal life. Pope Benedict XVI couldn't open that book. Mary, the mother of Jesus, couldn't open that book. Peter, supposedly the first pope, but he wasn't the first pope, couldn't open that book. No man could open that book, and John wept. John himself couldn't open that book. Michael the archangel couldn't open the book, and neither could Gabriel open the book. And he wept. And an elder said to him, Don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book. And all of a sudden, John saw a lamb as it had been slain, coming into the presence of God. Do you know when that occurred? It occurred in 30 A.D. when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and then ascended out of the atmosphere of this earth into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, came into the presence of God our Father and took the book out of the hands of Him that sat on the throne. And as soon as He took the book out of the hands of Him that sat on the throne... The angelic choir broke out in praise because a man had conquered their greatest enemy, the devil himself. And then the redeemed broke forth into a song of praise, which we repeat in Handel's Messiah when we sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to God by His blood. That is the Gospel, brethren. This is real history. This is stuff not taught in your history book. This is real history. 30 A.D., the Lord Jesus Christ ascending into heaven and sitting down at God's right hand. Now is come salvation and strength. Do you know what kind of strength was now available for us? 
The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King, was sitting on His throne. And the kingdom of our God had come with power. And the power of His Christ. Oh, brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ looked at His eleven apostles before He went into heaven. And He said to them, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. He had told Peter just a few days earlier, He had said, Peter, upon this rock that I am the Son of God, I will build My church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a lot of power. The gates of hell could not resist the gospel being preached by those apostles. And they went into all the world. And it's called one of the great mysteries of the gospel. That the apostles preached the gospel throughout the world and was believed on by Gentiles. We had no part in the thing. Our parents had no part. We were outside the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We had no hope and were without God in the world. But those apostles, by the power of their Christ, went into all the world and preached the gospel. And Gentiles fell on their faces and begged for mercy and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I see a Philippian jailer down in the innermost prison in Philippi, Macedonia, saying, What must I do to be saved? Gentiles. I see Cornelius praying to God always and Peter bringing an Italian the message of the gospel. And we've got our own Italian here today. We've got several Italians, but we've got another Italian. And he's going to be part of our church in just a few minutes. Thank you, Lord, for saving Cornelius's for the last 1900 and some years. Oh, brethren, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. That came when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Many Christians today still think that the devil accuses the saints. But the devil hasn't accused the saint for 1,976 years since 30 A.D. What would he accuse him of? The Bible tells me in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even seated at the right hand of God. Can you imagine the devil trying to accuse us of something by coming into the presence of God with our mediator and high priest sitting next to him? What would he say? We are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ as far as heaven is concerned. Now the devil can still throw fiery darts at this heart, but he's not in heaven. He's been cast out of heaven. What he did against Job in Job chapters 1 and 2, he does no more, and he hasn't done for a long time because the Lord Jesus Christ vanquished the devil. He was manifested in this world to destroy the works of the devil, and did he do it or not? He did it. He triumphed over them openly and made an open show of them on the cross of Calvary. Great things happened with the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Great things happened with His resurrection and then His ascension into heaven. Look at Titus chapter 1. It's right in front of the book of Hebrews. Titus chapter 1. I heard a loud voice in heaven. How can you read those words without hearing your marching orders? How can you hear those words without hearing your marching orders? I heard a loud voice in heaven. And do you know what the next verse tells us? Did you, 
Did you happen to look there? I'm not, let's not turn back. Did you read the next verse? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. That ain't no millennium. That's no future millennium. That's the past 1,976 years of men laying down their lives. And they had confidence in the blood of the Lamb. They could defeat the devil because Jesus Christ had died for them and paid for their sins with His blood. And they overcame Him by the word of their testimony. Do you know what the word of their testimony was? Jesus is the Son of God and sits at God's right hand. And He's my Savior and my Lord. You can't touch me. And they loved not their lives unto the death. What are you being asked to give up by Jesus Christ? A little bit of foolish television? A little bit of foolish music? What are you being asked to give up? They gave up their lives. They loved not their lives unto the death. Those are our fathers in the faith. We don't deserve to be compared to them unless we cheerfully and willingly give up everything that Jesus Christ calls us to give up. Titus chapter 1 and verse 14. Paul, an apostle, writing to a second generation minister. When I say second generation minister, I mean not an apostle, but those men ordained by the apostles. Timothy and Titus are the three pastoral epistles of the New Testament. And so Paul is commanding Titus what he ought to preach. And he says in verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. There are doctrines out there that are Jewish fables. They are fantasies about the Jews, and they turn men from the truth. And Paul told Titus, don't give heed to such things. Get away from those things, and that's what I'm preaching to you for on this subject of the gospel millennium. They would take away the power of the Christ, of our Jesus Christ, They would take away the kingdom of our God and give it to the Jews and stick it way out in some ridiculously earthly millennium. Jesus said, my kingdom doesn't come with observation. My kingdom is among you. It's a spiritual kingdom. Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this earth. And yet all the Schofieldites say, his kingdom is of this earth. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth. If my kingdom were of this earth, Pilate, my servants would fight and you'd be in trouble. Your little garrison here in Jerusalem wouldn't be good enough. But my kingdom is not of this world. Paul would preach, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There is a spiritual kingdom that ties us together with all our departed brethren that are in heaven. And all the angels, and Jesus Christ, and His shed blood, and God, and Mount Zion, and the heavenly Jerusalem. The kingdom of God has been here. It is here. We're in it. And don't let anyone steal it from you and stick it out in the future. No one in the Bible ever did that. It was all present tense kingdom that men were pressing into. It's a Jewish fable that there is some coming Jewish millennium. God, the Lord Jesus Christ died to break down the difference between Jews and Gentiles. That was the purpose of His death. That's why the Bible would say there is no longer Gentile or or Greek or, or, or Jew. There's no longer Greek or Jew. There's no longer barbarian or Scythian. There's no longer male or female. There's no longer bond or free. In Jesus Christ, we're all one. All you children, I'm sorry for, I have to repeat once in a while. What's a millennium? A thousand years. Where's a millennium mentioned in the Bible? It isn't. 
Where's the thousand years mentioned in the Bible? One place. Revelation chapter 20. And we're working our way there. What are the main millennial views? Jesus Christ has to come. Then there's an earthly millennium. That's the premillennial view. Pre means before. Jesus comes before an earthly millennium. Then there's postmillennialism. Jesus comes after the millennium is on earth. And we bring the millennium in. We bring the millennium in by getting active in politics. That's post-millennialism. And then there's amillennialism, which, which believes that the millennium is actually a spiritual reign of Jesus Christ over and with His saints from His first coming to His second coming, and that is what we are. We don't like the term amillennial because a means none, like an atheist means no theist. He doesn't believe in the, the being of God. We believe in a millennium. It's a spiritual reign of Jesus Christ, which the Bible teaches. Not some future earthly Jewish kingdom and not some present kingdom that we bring in by getting involved in politics and turning America back to God. Nowhere is that taught in the Bible. You're never going to do it. Evil seducers shall wax worse and worse. Jesus said, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he even find faith on the earth, is what he said. Premillennialism is the most popular view today and it's the one you're going to run into the most Jesus Christ has to come first, and then there is an earthly, literal, 1,000, carnal, worldly kingdom set up in Jerusalem with Jesus sitting on some wooden throne. The Jews are the preeminent people in the earth again, and us Gentiles are second-class citizens. That's not taught in the Bible. Just a couple of verses. And we, because of our events of today, we will have a break and take it up again in the second assembly. Turn to Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. Did Jesus offer the Jews an earthly kingdom, a future earthly kingdom? No, He didn't. They wanted one. Oh, they wanted one. They wanted the Son of David. Oh, they loved the Old Testament prophecies about Messiah. They wanted a Messiah that would come and ride His white horse into Jerusalem and deliver them from the Roman Empire. Oh, they wanted one. You bet they wanted one. But what they got instead was a carpenter's son who came into Jerusalem on the, bank, on the back of a donkey's colt and the children threw branches in his way and sang his praises and said, Hosanna to the son of David. They knew that Jesus Christ was the son of David because they were all being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God at that grand entry into Jerusalem the last time Jesus went into that city. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, they've, religious leaders have never followed the truth. The religious leaders of Jesus Christ's day were the ones that killed him. They came to Jesus and said, Don't you hear what those children are saying about you? Tell them to shut up because that's blasphemy for them to be saying that you're the prophesied Messiah, the son of David. Jesus said, If they were to hold their peace, the stones would cry out. Amen. I say that's the power of our Christ. The stones would have cried out that He was the Son of David. Mark chapter 1. Here is the preaching ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God was right there because the Old Testament prophecies had been fulfilled. The timing of Daniel had been fulfilled. The kingdom of God was at hand. 
Was he offering them some future kingdom? No. He was telling them about a present kingdom. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Did Jesus offer the Jews a future kingdom on earth? No, he didn't. He told them about a present spiritual kingdom on earth. Luke chapter 11 and verse 20. Jesus told those skeptical Pharisees who said he was casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub. He said to them in verse 20, But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. That strong man is the devil. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. And praise the God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ is the stronger man. He overcame the strong man, the devil. He bound him up. He delivered his goods. He brought us out of the palace of the devil. But notice verse 20. That's the important verse for my point. If I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. Did Jesus cast out devils by the finger of God? Yes. Then without a doubt, the kingdom of God was present in 26 A.D. with the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the truth. Thank you that we have a Savior who is presently seated at your right hand, who presently has power of the Christ, who presently has cast out the devil. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. Jesus speaking, And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He told them right here that you Jews are rebelling against the kingdom, but I'm going to give it to those from the east and the west. And brethren, we are a long way west. We are a long way west from Israel. But we have come into the kingdom of God. We have been united with Jewish brethren that went before us and Gentile brethren that went before us. And we have sat down and we sit down today and we sit down every Lord's day and we sit at the Lord's table and we partake with the spirits of just men made perfect like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We do it now on earth and we'll do it in heaven. It doesn't make any difference in any real aspect of the situation because we are already brought into union with those men that have gone before us because we are all part of the kingdom of God uniting Spirits of just men in heaven and those of us still on earth. Look at Matthew 16, the last verse for this, for this first service. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus has come into the coast of Caesarea Philippi according to verse 13. He says to his disciples, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist. They thought maybe John the Baptist had come back to life. This is how blind people can be, even though they had the Old Testament Scriptures, even though they had years of miracles. 
Some say you're John the Baptist. Some Elias. You're Elijah from Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Others say you're Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, if a man ever says that, do you know where that revelation of information came from? It came straight down from heaven because there is nothing by nature that would ever cause you to, or help you to see that, know that, and to declare that. You can't look at a flower and know a thing about Jesus Christ. You can't look at the universe and know a thing about Jesus Christ. You can know about the eternal power and Godhead of God, but you cannot know that God has a son named Jesus unless the Bible reveals it to you or unless the Holy Spirit convinces you of it in conjunction with His Word. What is this book? Search the Scriptures, Jesus said, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, but they are they which testify of Me. Right. Right here. This tells us all about Jesus Christ. But see, Peter didn't have a New Testament yet. And so Peter had the Holy Spirit reveal it to him directly from heaven. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What rock? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 19, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice the church and the kingdom brought right together by the Lord Jesus Christ, During Peter's lifetime, he would have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And when you go through the book of Acts, you can see Peter standing up in chapter 1, replacing Judas Iscariot. You can see Peter standing up in Acts chapter 2 and telling those Jews in Jerusalem what they needed to do. You can go to Acts chapter 10, he tells Gentile Cornelius what he ought to do. Acts chapter 11, he's called on the carpet by the church of Jerusalem about Cornelius. He explains exactly what he did. Acts chapter 15, there's a council at Jerusalem, and he explains that God sent him to open up the way of truth and the gospel to Gentiles. He had the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He opened and he closed. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.